listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And today we're uh, on the heels of our second live event, right, Seth? The heels, that's right. The heels of our second live event, WTNS Live. And I've been saying this so much, and go ahead and just whack the crap out of that, like what your son does to other kids in school. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He doesn't do that stuff. He, we'll that talk about that later, wrong. maybe. But um, Jeez. one thing I was wrong about, Seth, that auction stuff, people love it. I was hanging with Jim, Jim Laughlin side stage, and he, you were cracking him up. You crush with that auction stuff. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. I am available. Anyone interested in hiring a live auctioneer, I'm available. Benefits, fundraisers, bar mitzvahs, you name it. I mean, I don't really know why you do an auction at a bar mitzvah unless it was like an auctioneer's son's bar mitzvah. But it looks like City Winery, we're going to hold off till January, February. Maybe maybe do one somewhere else in between. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to see how, how it goes in the live event for now. Correct, Seth? Correct. Proof of concept is there. And um, what, what was that? Proof of concept. Industry talk, people. <clears throat> so we got Seth in full frontal industry mode. Uh, I want to talk about some of the industry related here in a minute, Rob. Oh, really? Yeah. Are we saving that for the end? Too? No, no. Let's go into it in the middle here, oh. middle of the beginning. I want to. I want to vent. We're going to talk about Marcus King, but um, if Seth wants to vent, why don't you go? Oh, and at well, the end of this show, we're going to do. We're finally bringing back reviewing the reviewers due to popular demand. People did ask for it, and I'm going to read you four articles. Uh, I'm read you the titles of four articles, and you will choose. The review that we review. I get to make the decision? That is your call. Oh, wow. I'm excited about that. Because you're about to uh, spill your beans, spill your guts. Well, what, let's what are let, we talking about, well, Seth? Well, first, let's, talk, let's, let's first talk about the show the other night. WTNS Live was sure. a great night. We raised some money for the organization. We're here for you. Right. And we got to interview DJ Logic and Steve Lopez live. They both did fantastic jobs. Yeah. Well, I felt the vibe that we could have had Lopez for at least five hours. He, he, he was enjoying the talking. And... Uh, Lope, and in Logic, wow. I mean, I've known Logic for a while. As you know, he was our musician and our wedding in Jamaica. Um, but he... I, I, you You're know, assuming the listeners know, or you mean I know? No, I'm talking about you. Oh, now, okay. now the listeners know. That's my way of telling them I'm without I'm sure they're fascinated them. by that, too. I but bet go they on. are. <laughs> At any rate, so... What, how much did we learn about Logic? Wow, like he, he, he's, he's really got an interesting story and a, and a lot of a lot of history. I've just always loved the way that... No matter who he's sitting in with, he finds a way to blend. It, it, there is a he errs on the side of underplaying, you know, and kind of eases his way in. He's never yeah. overbearing when he's when he sits in, and it was really cool to see him with Voodoo Visionary. And Voodoo really worked on that set. Oh, they did. We had Ruby sit in from the Soulphonics. We had Donna Hopkins. I mean, it was such a freaking amazing. Joe amazing. was up there. McCormick. Uh, uh, I mean, th- there was uh, there's a bunch of musicians I never even met that sat in. Um, a lot of Atlanta musicians, and it was it was just it was really great. The band really really played well. Um, it was a Tuesday night. I, I, I gotta get. I feel like we're, Tuesdays are no good. I mean Wednesday, Thursday, sure. Wednesday, and then there's a the question of Wednesday's better than Thursday because Wednesday, you know, is the middle of the week. People need a little bit of a break. Whereas Thursday, they're gonna take it a little lighter because Fridays the, comes the weekend. So I don't know what the psychology out there really is on the best night to do these shows. But I do feel that a Monday and Tuesday is no bueno because the band was crushing it. But you could tell people had work on their mind. They, they gotta go. The people were not letting loose like like they normally would um also i want that, the city winery to make money when we do these events yeah well they would if they listened to me i told these guys it was uh, tough with the bar there was always a line um 
The woman was not very friendly, so I mean, a lot they, of people they, were the, talking, and they would have spent more money if they could have gotten drinks more easily. 20, I, I calculated a 25-minute wait at the bar. Uh, so the idea here at the, with, with the, doing this, this city winery, was that they have a cash bar, and it, they have a, two cash bars, one at the bartender and another one. Well, the, the bartender was doubling as bartender f- at, for sales and uh, and servers. Really, we had half a bartender when we should have had you yes. know, three. Yeah, Uh and, the, and, the, and in their interest, again. right? Well, in their defense, you know, they were very clear with me that if the advanced ticket sales were not at a certain point, they and would not do it. And that's why we try to get people to buy tickets in advance. Uh, and I put it out there like that. But I, I told them, I'm like, look, the bottom line is, guys, people will be in the room, which they were. There was a, well, you, well, well, there was over 150 people in the room. Okay, only about half of them paid, but <laughs> but if you if you want to make money, right? And the music, just do just add the bar. At the cash bar, and and the th- and the thing is, you have to understand is the city winery is as much of a music venue it is. It's also a restaurant that's run like a restaurant. So it's hard to get a bar manager, restaurant manager to go ahead and believe in what we're trying to do for them. But they have done a lot for us, printing, giving us the chance in the first place, printing all the promo, and it is a kind of an honor to be associated with such a great national company. Oh yeah, who now has an outlet in Boston, so you know I have fantasies of doing this in Boston of and course. Chicago and New York I and know, Nashville. But, but, you know, we're from, we both have Boston roots. Yes, we do. Chicago may be the greatest city in the country, and there may be opportunities coming up that way. So who knows? But the bottom line is, we we very much value and love working with the city winery, and we want to make you money. So when we do these things, I, it's sad to say but we attract sort of a, a, a beverage enthusiast. In beverage enthusiasts. We, we do. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and right, speaking well, of which, beverage enthusiasts, uh, I want to thank Terrapin. Stop whacking that poor microphone. Does it owe you money or something? No, my, my headphone thing is uh, not working properly. It's all coming in and out, so I can't Is that the it. one that... Oh, now uh, I hear nothing. Oh, that's yours. No wonder why. Uh, I'm, I'm messing with Rob's here, thinking it's mine, and oh, that's the one... I, uh, this is great okay, That's better. <laughs> all right, now what were you referring... Was some business or I something? I want to thank Terrapin Brewery, who came to the table knowing that... Yeah, we have 50 musicians at the show on Monday, or Tuesday, and we yeah, can't, we can't get beer. the city winery just to give free drinks right. like that. That would, that would that would make nothing. They're generous enough with that. Very much so. So uh, Terrapin Beer came to the table, and our boy Harris, right over here to the side. Harris is with us today. He is. Uh, Harris uh, was kind enough to drive out there in the morning of the show to pick up five cases of beer to... Feed the masses of musicians. So big thanks to Terrapin Beer. Thanks to our sound engineers, Robert Kwan, live, and Josh Thane, who will be assembling this episode for your fine ears, or for our fine listeners. Josh Thane Productions, Wonder Dog Sound Studios, and our each, tour. Each.com. And to Nathaniel and Adam, our Kennesaw State University interns who got the true Shimon style internship welcoming. So, like, they're coming in to help us out with the podcast. And and the, and the it's like, welcome. welcome. So, uh, podcast, you're going to help us with the podcast. What you're going to do is you're going to sell bingo cards and you're going to go ahead and help sell the money. Uh, you're going to, you know, the transactions for the uh, casino. And that, that was their start. That was their start. Um, on a funny note, I got to go back and tell you guys a funny story. Uh, I, with Shimon Presents, we have an internship program. And Rob, do you remember, uh, this popped up on my Facebook about 10 years ago uh, when I was at the uh, Avatar building. Um, not P, uh, P. Diddy started a reality TV show, uh, like Stars or whatever, where people, uh, you know, music-related one. So there's a line. I get to the office that morning. There's a line out the door. And I mean, like, wrapping around the building of people that are waiting to audition for this show. So I have a new intern that starts that morning. And I'm like, hey, wow, 
check it out. There's a huge line. So what I need you to do is go downstairs. And I yeah, I ordered a bunch of pizzas and bagels, and I started brewing coffee. And I'm like, we're gonna. And I was it was it was a money making machine. You know, people are waiting in line for hours in my under my office. So we're making stuff, and then they're like, people are like, well, we're singers. Can do you have any hot tea? I'm like, yes, we have hot tea. So I made the intern run up to the cooler where you have the hot water button, make hot water, and make hot, fresh tea for the people. Needless to say, the guy his first day with us was his only day. He never came back. So Adam and Nathaniel, I, I do hope they come back. That was a great story, but the problem is now your little business story is going to go to the end of the episode because we got to talk about Marcus King because he's the focus of our show and we have we are releasing it now because we are on the cusp of his Marcus King band family reunion at the Pisca Brewery, North Carolina, in the beautiful, beautiful Smoky Mountains. MarcusKingBand.com for information, but he, they're going to headline two different nights. They are a band at this point who has enough material that I would assume they're going to mix up those shows. And they're, they're a band that, that literally are, there's going to be fire on the mountain with those guys. They are on fire. I mean, Marcus is, uh, I mean, well, he's, he's a little Haynes. He, uh, yeah, and I, 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 a lot of people make that comparison. But as we get into in this interview, there are things that are different. And especially, I like the little, the, the way his voice can remind me of that fine young cannibals, the way it goes off in that direction. That's not like Warren. I also, I, I'm surprised we even got through that interview. Rob shows up as a sweating blob. I mean, I'm like, Rob, we, we, the interview got pushed back by like 10 minutes. We were able to do it at our friend's house. That it got was our- pushed back more than 10 minutes. All right, and we're right. backstage, and they wouldn't let me walk the 10 feet by the, by the backstage to the front of house to watch Lake Street Dive. So I had to walk all the way around, which is like three quarters of the way around the site. So you should go in and watch two songs, and then because I always miss Lake Street Dive for one reason or another, I at least got to see him do two songs. Then I come back and go ahead. So. Oh, Marcus! Marcus was not that comfortable. Like he got a kick out of it. Stop with first, the restraint. Oh, the restraining order. No, thing no, next, right? Actually, if oh, you like, restraining order. <laughs> so the rail, getting railroaded by Rob here again. So what I was saying is he wasn't comfortable leaving his trailer. Thank you, Rob. Nothing again. Nothing about you on this one uh and i'm like well we can record at my friend's house right across the street he's like well i i don't really feel comfortable you know leaving i'm like how about give your friend a shout out look look right there there's kevin's house right there thank you kevin and he's like oh you mean the house like right there i'm like yeah so okay so we get down there and he he got more and more comfortable he was ready to hang for the longer but um rob shows up and i mean rob is he, he looks like he just got out of a pool, and he smelled like he just got out of a jungle. But all right, so uh, Mar- I, I smelled fine, <laughs> like a fine young cannibal. So uh, they have announced uh, each day. Okay, talk about it. You're talking about the, the talk about it. Marcus King Family Reunion. It's at the Pisca Brewery, which is in I think Black Mountain. Who, who else is? It's a festival, though, right? They're yeah, calling it a festival. Blackberry Smoke. The first night, I, I don't know. Do you, do they follow? Does Marcus King follow Blackberry Smoke? I wouldn't want to do that. Well, I mean, Mule, that's one thing. But I, no, uh, being it's their event, I mean, I can't see Marcus, you know, not headlining. Jama from the Almond Brothers would be there with his jazz has band with Junior Mac on uh, guitar. I've seen them a bunch of times. I love them. Big Something who is just kicking butt. We talked about them with DJ Logic last night at the show because he's yeah. worked with them recently. Uh, National Reserve and Gabriel Kelly. Then the second night, of course, Marcus Kingman, David <coughs> Shaw, solo. Wow, yeah, yeah. He's doing more and more solo stuff. And again, 
Those revivalists keep blowing up. God bless them. Muddy Magnolias, George Porter Jr., future guest on our show, right, Seth? I believe so. Ron Holloway Band. I'd love to have him on either of my shows. That's Ron Holloway is the sax player from several episodes ago that I'm like, you know what I'm talking about? Remember what I'm talking about? That's who I was talking about. So there if, was you a- can t- if you can tell me what episode that was, email us at insideoutwtns and at gmail.com. There was one time I was uh, reviewing 1E for... 1E. <laughs> Hitting the time I was reviewing one A. I think it was for hitting the note. It might have been for who, who else honest. would have been? You only it's either relics or hitting the note. No, I've written for a bunch of stuff. Or hitting the note is also honest tune. The kind of same nowadays, right? but back then they weren't. Oh my coffee! I hear my coffee. I hear my train are coming. Oh, I hear it. my coffee you, cooking. Harris can get you a cup of coffee. Actually, if you don't mind, Harris, the, the, the mug is right there. And this is Harris's last day, folks. And, and yes, Harris will join Nathaniel and Adam in working with someone else. He's, they're going to work for the Helping Friendly Podcast. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's... Uh, let's... Oh, wait a couple more. Uh, that's what's up. <coughs> Travers Brothership. The L- L- Leia Blevins. I've seen that Leia Blevins name again. And the People's Blues of Richmond who yeah. are smoking. Uh. I saw them first at, at Lockin. Yeah. Oh, you They right. opened a day at Lockin, my first, I think the second year of Lockin. Oh. And they, <laughs> this is Seth, who, who always the the weirdest little sounds. He freaks out, but he is like <laughs> battering the microphone. I, I'm a little upset. Stay to stay tuned to the end of the show here, folks. I'll tell you start why. calling that microphone Tina. So at the end of the show, we're going to do reviewing the reviewers. You said that, and then Seth is going to tell us a little story. A little story. So actually, I'm going to teach everyone a little something about the industry. But Rob, um, Friday, October sixth. Saturday, October 7th, Pisca Brewery, MarcusKingBand.com, and now, shall we? Well, I want to talk a little bit more about Marcus for a second, though. Sure. Um, I I wanted to share, like, so I'm working on a guitar clinic on Jam Cruise uh, that we're pitching right now, and we pitched it for Marcus King, Eddie Roberts. Oh, man. Well, it gets better. Steve Kimmock. And John Schofield. Jesus. So Schofield's a little busy. He's only going to be there for a little bit. I really hope it works out. But so, what? What do you mean a clinic? Like that they would perform the, and like interact with the uh, audience? Yeah, it'd be the four of them uh, on a stage doing a panel style uh, with their guitar guitars and uh, discussing different, you know, just discussing guitars and music and kind of and have them do one cover and then maybe a Schofield song because they would most likely all know a Schofield song, <laughs> one of his like Hot and Todd or one of his big ones. You know what I mean? Because he does have songs that probably all four of those guitars know. Talk to me before you, this one. I, I I would have ideas for that. Right, well, Even though I'd probably not be in, t- in attendance. Where, where would this be? Jam Cruise. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you would think maybe they would want uh, WTNS on there, but um, I don't even... Did you think Jam Cruise even knows we exist? I don't know, but as far as being on there, that would be super, but I can't expect it. It's such a limited thing, and they have a smaller boat now. Uh, as far as knowing if we exist, it would be nice to have more support from them, because you've or been working support, for really for 15 plus years. Actually, what's Sixth Man... Donated a cabin to us, didn't they? They donated a cabin for one of their cruises. Yes, that was very cool. That was very. How long have you worked for them? Uh, I don't work for them at all. Yeah. Uh, Any rate, though, so Marcus King, though, uh, he's got he's. He's really gained a lot of steam in the last uh, two years, uh, and this last summer was really big. It seems like his his band is much more defined now, uh, with, uh, and his management and et cetera, and uh, on, the, on the industry side here, um, have really come together, and and it's it it's a real deal, full functioning band now. I love seeing the guy play, but I don't want to say what I say about him because I say it right at the beginning of the interview. I get oh, yeah, very specific that's true. That's true about what specifically is impressive about him as a young player beyond the obvious. If, I, I bring up three things. If you haven't seen him yet, 
Well, hopefully you'll want to after hearing this interview and listen to his music. But it's fantastic. I highly encourage it. Uh, he is a rising star, and that's what I'm trying to say. Sings beautifully, has a great sense of pacing, just a wonderful player. And he's young. He hasn't come into himself fully yet. So it, Informed who, by a wide variety of music, too. I mean, who, you know, this guy, in the next, look where he's going to, let's in 10 years look back at this, because where is he going to be in 10 years? Derek, I like to see Tedeschi Trucks take this kid out and have him spend some time with Derek. Because I know, uh, Derek, I know you're listening. Could you just think that over? Derek Uh, loves this show. uh, Does he really? Yeah. I wonder if Kofi's been listening as uh, as he's been healing. Uh, But you hear the news Kofi's coming back. They have a date uh, in New York. The um, Bowery, not Bowery, what do you call it? The. uh, Brooklyn? No, the where the Alma Brothers used to play. Beacon. Beacon. Uh, Is it a It's not a benefit. No, no. It's a benefit. Oh, no, no. We weren't from Young Rico. Yeah. But what is it? Just a celebration of Kofi? No, Kofi? it's 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 the oh during the big Tedeschi trucks. Yeah, run. he's he's coming. His, his Which, debut I mean, back. They're, they're they're stepping in more and more into the Zalman Brothers shoes shoes on the Beacon thing. It's now a six night run, isn't it? I have no clue. And they uh, another band. They have the material. I, I I could imagine they not that many repeats. I mean, they'll have to do the big one a couple times. Oh, you know. If Kofi's around, you know we. we so it, in the uh, we're looking this at the spring. Too long. We're going to stop here, but in the spring for their next WTNS live, we are talking about getting together with the Georgia Music Foundation, being our um, our charity for that one, and tying in a lot of musicians. So yeah, I want to work Nick Johnson in more. I would love to the the Colonel's old man, um, Madrid uh, Express. I would love to do something with them. So many, so I got a head full of ideas that are driving me insane about this live event stuff. And we could move around to different venues, and I I bounced our little idea off our friend, and she loved it. I can't be more specific than that. But cool. Well, I also ate something. Um, it was delicious the other day. So let's get into Marcus the K. The live now. podcast idea, not live event, but the live podcast, intimate setting where people can come see us babble endlessly about Marcus King. Sitting here, backstage, and then some. Uh, Catch your Cam- breath, Rob. Catch your breath. Catch your breath. Give me a glove. Yeah, I just hustled <laughs> back here. I had never seen Lake Street Drive, so I got to see a couple of their songs. They've always eluded me. Finally, got to see them. But, who but we're sitting here with the man whose set I saw the entire in its entirety, the creator and front man of what I'm going to call the Jazz Psycha Southern Soul Rock Band. Say I'll that take times. it, Marcus King. Marcus <laughs> King, man. How you doing, man? Doing great. And this may seem like radio, but we are not radio soldiers. I want to make that clear up front. Well, yeah, I wrote, I wrote that tune, actually, more because I have a lot of radio DJs that ask me about it. And uh, 
It's actually not about radio DJs. It's about an uh, experience I had. Like, it's from the point of view of like a fan, you know? Like, so he write, understands that. Like writing a letter to, uh, you know, an artist that you like that kind of sold out a little bit. Ah, you know? so that. I thought you were making fun of the DJs kind of kind no. of parroting. That's interesting. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, it's just basically like, uh, you know, living off your mailbox. That's one of the lines. And, you know, that's all that's all cool. If I, if I had a song that paid me in the mailbox, I'd probably quit playing that song. <laughs> what nah. about if it paid you in the P.O. box? P.O. PO box is fine. Yeah, okay, just want to yeah. make sure. So is, I understand you had a birthday recently. I did, yeah. You're 21 now, finally? Yeah. <laughs> you finally started drinking. Congratulations. And, yes, I just started exactly. drinking, yeah. <laughs> and I understand you had a really special cake. I heard, I heard they had a king cake. Did they? No? No, that's Seth trying to be funny. I'm just Don't warming up. up. Don't Come on. This is warming up, Rob. Be careful what you encourage. Well, you know, you got to rem- you got to try to remember what you did at your 21st birthday. Yeah, this is this is true. But everybody's talking about your shredding and your singing and all this and that, but I, I'll tell you the three things that most impressed me about you. Number one. Number one is the often quiet and subtle playing behind the verses. The real subtle, understated stuff can be gorgeous at times. Number no- two. Number two, the fact that you clearly apply a full understanding of jazz theory and that you're clearly a jazz studied. And not a full understanding, uh, and often not clear, but... Maybe that's good. Colonel well, would say that's good. You only want so much understanding. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just, the, just enough to, uh, you know, get by, but I try to study as much as I can, and, you know, I never feel like I'll be fully, you know, there, and I never want to be fully there. I want a little bit of, like the Colonel would say, is, you know, you want some of the bad. You want some there. of the bad, absolutely. Also, yeah. you study jazz by the... Uh, Mistakes. You play jazz by mistakes, I understand. Well, mistakes can be happy accidents, <laughs> that's, right? That's, that's where it's at. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the Jerry Garcia method, you know. He's and, the king of it. And also Jimmy Herring. It, and I, to uh, refer to the colonel again was, uh, if it sounded bad, just do it three times. <laughs> <laughs> and number three. Speaking of and number three is that even at a very young age, you've already discovered the importance of the pause. Yeah, you got to shut the hell up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of young players get to shredding, and then they just want to throw notes at your face. And uh, I, I like the way that you, you can be judicious. You can lay back. You can interact with the horns. You know, you got a rock-steady bassist who seems to really be about holding the pocket, yet you still interact with him as well. Would you agree with all this? Yeah, well, you know, that came mostly from when I was, uh, when I was coming up. I was playing with all older musicians. Like your dad's band. Like my dad's band, and I would go out... And get snuck into all the bars and play with uh, local musicians who had played with like Marshall Tucker Band and stuff like Frank Wilkie and like Big Tess Sherrard, like all, Craig Searles, all these like local heroes of mine. And they were all much older than me and they were just letting me come in and play. And, you know, if you overstepped or you overplayed like that, that shit doesn't fly, you know, in that kind of setting. And you kind of kind of uh, learn that. You know? What's that like? Tell us, a, tell us a story if you got one about... Where you kind of were over-speaking and they told you and how they told you. Well, let's set this up first. I don't it's know. all really subtle. You know? just, it's never like, hey, you, shut up. Mm-hmm. Seth <laughs> needs to know, though, that your dad is fronts a blues band that's pretty well-known in Greenville. Your grandfather was also in an old-timey band called the Country Gentleman, so he's coming yeah. from serious pedigree. Yeah. But go ahead. How about put it this way? By 11, you're in your dad's band. Mm-hmm. But what about when you're like eight or nine and sitting in with them? Are the other guys in the band rolling their eyes and like, oh, what's up? Oh, he's bringing his son. Oh, Jesus. Or <laughs> were they accepting? Annoying, and be right? honest. I don't know. I can't really remember. They may have been when I was turning my back because they were mostly, uh, you know, it was, it, was like a, it was a Christian band. So Christian blues. It, you know, my father has been in the church for a while 
And I say my father's more of a spiritual man, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the circuit that we were in, you know. Is that different than like Catholic blues and Jewish blues? Because I understand they play about Nakia guilt. (laughs) I don't know, man. It was it was just no no alcohol. I guess is basically the the underlying uh, thing, which is easy when you're not 21. So yeah, so it was okay. A lot of root beer. (laughs) He didn't start drinking moonshine 10 years before he turned 21. No, no, never. But you, did you ever see The Country Gentleman? Do you have any familiar? They reunited in 92, but that's still before your time, right? Well, um, yeah, that was, that was before me a little ways. But um, I got to play with my grandfather a couple times uh, before he passed. And uh, at that point, they were like reuniting the, the King Family Review and all that stuff. And my grandfather's heritage was really, you know, like it all came from a lot of pain, you know. And... Like, he left to go into the Army when he was 16 because um, uh, his uncle would beat him with horse reins for not plowing the field correctly. But, like, a week before that, he had done, like, a competition. And this was, like, um, early 30s, I guess. And he was doing a competition as a fiddle player to go to Nashville and, you know, be one of the session cats. And uh, he uh, he left before he got the letter, and he, like, won the competition, but he was already overseas. Oh. So... You never know what could have happened, but, you know. He got whipped out of a gig. Pretty much, yeah. So you grew up in Greenville, mm-hmm. house with instruments all over the place. Just like that, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, they not, never... Not that neat. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, kind of all over the place. Yeah. But they, they never kind of pushed you toward it. They just kind of, once you started playing with the guitar, they sort of encouraged you. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, no, they never never forced me into it. Not Which, one. listen, parents, don't force your kids, but encourage them. <laughs> Let them lead, and then you follow, right? Yeah, exactly. You want to play the key? Play the key. You want to play the piano? Play the piano. You want to play the pots and pans? Well, as long well. as it's not during dinner. <laughs> right. And uh, I did play the pots and pans. I played, I played everything that was around, everything that was available to me to play. I was playing it. And, uh, you know, really just trying to get sound out of anything. And then, as you like we said, as you get older, you start playing with your dad. But what what what's in between there? Like, how long does it take before you get up the guts and the chops to sit in with, you know, a, a professional touring? I mean, that, that was a real. It's not like you sat in your with your dad at Taco Mac or something. They were they were playing real <laughs> gigs, right? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a real gig. And I mean, my first memories are with a fake guitar when I was like three or four. Uh, <laughs> when I was like three or four, and I was you know standing on stage with my dad. And then uh, my seventh birthday, I remember I was in my room playing, and uh, all the all the kids from school or whatever, because I never really had any friends. It was like my parents had friends that had kids, I, th- I feel like, you know? Yeah, you had a lot of jerks around you, it sounds like, <laughs> when you were young. No, no. I was just, I've always been pretty introverted, you know, and I just wanted to practice. So there was no hide-and-seek for me. I was just, I just felt like practicing. I'm still hiding. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, <laughs> I'll hide. Yeah, wait, it's yeah. your turn to seek. No, no, I'm going to hide. No, no. <laughs> right. Well, wait, before you go to seventh grade, sixth grade. That was when I was seven. I think that was like. When you were told uh, you should be a small set director when you were did, did a career thing. <laughs> and the teacher had seen you play and she said only good musicians. What's yeah. her name? Throw her name out there. Let's make her famous. Um, Just kidding. What was her name? <laughs> You can say it. When I remember it, I, I will. You do? She's actually she's actually come to see me since then. And oh, does she like? Does she figure it out? 
she yeah. Well, she <laughs> she, she uh, emails them for free tickets now. Well, she said you, <laughs> she said you have to be good to play music. So I guess doesn't go for you. Don't have to be good to teach in Greenville though. Huh? I was just trying right. to be hard on him. <laughs> I was just trying to be hard on him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he, he's not really that good. He's just his playing is only going to take him to every corner of the earth. But go on. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny day. I did the whole, did that whole little test or whatever. When they're trying to mold your minds, and uh, it's a very conservative school too. You got to understand, which was why I was always a little bit rebellious in the sense of just, you know, when they would contradict themselves on a lot of the things they were teaching, I would, uh, I would point it out, and that would be considered more like disrupting the class. Is that how you got a paddling? I got a paddling in seventh grade. Um, I don't remember what that was for, but I got, you know, <laughs> they were they were good to me, but I did, you know, I got caught with certain things and, you know, on school grounds, you can't do that. And they did paddle me there, and that was... Mr. Burger? Uh, <laughs> Mr. Burger. Mr. is, ah, shoot, what was his name? Um, uh, paddle cakes. I thought, paddle cakes. <laughs> but I, I don't know. You should I, live in Singapore. It sounds I like I, I thought I'd never forget his name, uh, but I did. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> so that's fun. How about in, in happier ways? Tell us who Steve Watson is and uh, what he meant to you and how he was part of your development. Steve Watson was, um, and still is, like uh, I'm being told to put on my headphones, but nothing's coming through <laughs> them. Just so you know, nothing's coming through them. Go on. Um, well, Steve Watson was like the other side of the coin, you know, for me. When I was in high school, um, the other half of the day would be at the Fine Arts Center with uh, with, with Steve studying uh, jazz theory the first hour and jazz performance the second hour. And I would, um, you know, I'd be in school until about 11 a.m. and then I'd leave and I'd go to the Fine Arts Center and that was like my, my liberation was to get the fuck out. Of my high school. <laughs> Your whole day would build to it, you would say. Yeah. You kind of got through the day. Exactly. And, and then you'd be tired the next day from playing the day before. Yeah. And then, you know, end up getting uh, in trouble for sleeping in class and all this stuff. and Made fun of, too. Nah. Well, high school, I was just pretty introvert. I didn't really... Well, know. we're talking about his life, not yours. <laughs> Well, you, do you need to sit on the couch here? Do you no, want to lie on well, the couch? We're going to switch seats here. I feel know. if I'd been made fun of more in high school, I'd be further along. I think getting made fun of in high school is a good thing. I do remember one particular time where I, you know, I was wearing just like some jeans and some Birkenstocks, as you do, and like a flannel shirt. And uh, like they you know, kind of ridiculed me for being like a, like a bum or like just a pothead. Uh-huh. And I was, but I was a musician, and I don't think a pothead is like, I think that's such a negative connotation because I've always had a very good yeah. understanding that it's more of a medicinal thing, you know. And the music's so it good. always was, you know, and music for me was a way to release. And they just saw me as like this, you know, kind of, you know, rebellious, like, pot smoker in high school. And I remember one particular occasion where the, the teacher was like, you know, you should present yourself a little bit better. I'm uh-huh. like, I, this is a nice flannel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just, I thought. You can rub it in their face if you want. Come on. <laughs> use our show. I can't remember any of their names, and that's a blessing to so me. There you go, because they're forgettable people, Marcus. But we uh, did the research, uh, and we are going to be sending a copy of this podcast over to your high school and elementary Please school. Please do. I, uh, I quoted Steely Dan on the thank yous on my inside of my record, which I'm never going back to my old school. <laughs> so I'd have to send one in anyway. 
<laughs> you know, I can also see where the teachers are like, you know, you, you know, you're so creative, and I think it's just wonderful. You're really creative, but lay off the pot. Yeah. Well, well, well okay. The, what happened to your creativity? What happened to your creativity? <laughs> it's like, well, you know. See, they would get mad at me, and uh, I mean, honestly speaking, I think there was a struggle there because I was, you know, not applying myself, as they say, and I was just not interested in the work and you know they'd bring the drug dogs to my to my to my classroom all the time just kind of randomly <laughs> right. and you know that kind of stuff South gets Carolina. to you and like the the other kids I just couldn't relate with them and you know it was a lot of that and I wasn't applying myself I think if I had have been in an environment where I was uh, a little more comfortable with the people surrounding me just like I was at the fine arts center I would have ended up graduating and that mm-hmm. that's a really you know, I'm pretty young, so not very many regrets, thankfully. But that's a big one for me is not being able to graduate from the Fine Arts Center. And why is that? Well, I just, I kind of got, <laughs> not driven, but very, you know, motivated to drop out of high school. Uh, because there was a weird thing. There was a weird clause with my sister's truancy to where they assumed I was truant as well. And I had to go to court in seventh grade. Killed by association. Yeah, this whole thing. So I had to sign this document. And all the other kids were, you know, skipping fifth or whatever, and I couldn't do any of that. And if I missed one day because I was sick, but not sick enough to go to the doctor or whatever, like if I didn't have a doctor's note, like they would call the truancy board and they'd call me and they'd uh, try to get me to go to court and they were trying to put me in juvenile hall and all this shit. This is why people make fun of South Carolina. Yeah, you know, I mean. And those, why for the, is this for those going who, on? For those that are ignorant or don't know, can you explain truancy? <laughs> uh, so truancy court, it's, a, it's a whole separate thing of the judicial system, really, uh, that not a lot of people know about. And I bring it up like it's common knowledge, but you know, if you haven't had to go through that as a kid, it's uh, that's great because they do not treat you like you're a child. They treat you like you are just, you know, doing really bad. And I hadn't even missed any school at this point when I had to go to court. My sister had. And then two weeks later, she turned uh, she turned seventeen and dropped out, and then it held over my head for the rest of my high school, whatever. Is it like you'd be better off bringing a gun to school? I think you get in less trouble. <laughs> Unbelievable. You speak of needing to be around music twenty four hours a day. The only one like that. <laughs> so you speak of needing to be around music twenty four hours a day. <laughs> Are you still like that? Because I'm kind of like that. Either me or me, I constantly. <laughs> Rob's like Rob's the type of guy. Just so you know that it's like, yeah, you know, I'm so tired. I've been. I just went to this show and I, I got to start. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the notes for this band and uh, I'm just gonna chill out. And then I walk into the house where or my office uh-huh. and he's blasting something. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm chilling out. That's chilling out to me. <laughs> it's loud, chilling loud out. music. You're not chilling out. Right. You're, you're playing Leonard yeah. Skinner. What that, are you doing? That's me, man. It's like when I'm when I'm creating. That's me, kind of relaxing. Or there's like documentaries. I like to watch, like, uh, there's one out right now that's really good. It's called The Keepers. Just like, uh, or like, you know, mystery stuff. <laughs> I like to chill out and watch that kind of stuff that kind of works your mind a little bit. And, uh, you know, do a little light reading. And um, Like uh, light reading as in, I'm going to do light reading. What's this box say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not reading the cereal box, but... Uh, I'm reading this book called The Cosmic Serpent. It's about the the use of ayahuasca in the in the Amazon. Ooh. And uh, uh, Neil Evans from Soul Life actually turned me on to that book. 
uh, he he's like he's like uh, turning me on to everything I read right now. <laughs> have you ever tried? Have you ever tried that ayahuasca? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Are you curious? Yeah. I'm very. Yeah. I won't touch it, but I'd love to hear about it. I heard it makes you very sick if you don't do it properly. But it seems to be that uh, it seems you know just from what I read, it seems that a lot of the studies on psychedelics have been mostly on like man-made psychedelics. So it's not very it's not a very pure study, you know. It's like a Fox News study. Studies have shown. Yeah. <laughs> studies have shown. Well, it's kind of taking the Carlos Castaneda to a whole other level. Um, no, but seriously, this ayahuasca stuff is supposed to be like God's gift to us or something. Well, that's but. the thing. It's like a, it's like a whole circular thing. Is because you know they would they would go in there and, and study, and they would ask him like, "How did you find out about this ayahuasca?" And they'd say, "Well, ayahuasca told me about it." And then it's like this whole circular thing. It's like, how did you figure out that this plant and this plant would cancel out, you know, the thing in this plant that would keep it from actually allowing you to have the psychedelic effects? Because it takes the two different plants mixed together Hmm. to make the psychedelic properties. I didn't know that. And the way that they figured that out was through being on the drug is all they can know. Or not drug, but the plant. So it's like this whole thing. It's a... I haven't gotten through the whole book. <laughs> so what? It sounds so on uh, our part two. Part two. When I finish the book, yeah. Can you explain? Um, you talk about Jimmy Herring's tone and that you try to. You love his tone and that it's a wet, dry tone. Can you explain to that to people who don't play guitar? Um, well, it's just one of them is uh, one of the cabinets has reverb and the other one doesn't, essentially. And um, so is it like a half reverb effect overall summation, or does it just? Well, man, Jimmy's setup is just crazy, and it's so cool. It's so analog, and uh, I guess that was the first time I played with Panic was in Wani, and I got up there, and he has like eight volume pedals. He doesn't really have a pedal board because he's playing mainly through the amp, and he's just a lot of reverb because he's just like me, a reverb nut, and uh, he's got pedals that control the volume of every instrument in the band and the level of it in their mix, in his mix, you know? Damn. He's a, he's a mad genius. That's and, next level. Yeah. So you're talking about the Mountain Jam that you played? Uh, Wani. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, but yeah, the song. Mountain Jam, yeah. Have right. you watched the video of it? Well, this is a little confusing, but you no. just played Mountain Jam a couple yeah. weeks ago, right? No, we played or that last year, year okay. yeah. Yeah, that's been t- spun off into something else. I don't know. I don't even think Warren's <laughs> on it this year. I don't know what I happened don't know there. what's going on there. It, it was annoying to go there, too. The authorities were a little heavy-handed. So, oh, really? Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to miss it. But... um. Getting back to what, have you seen the video? Have you have you watched you, the video? No, you you don't like to watch yourself. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm I just don't want to go back and. No, that watch one you might want to watch. Jimmy Hang, it's scary. No, no, no. There's one point, there's one point where you get into a nice little moment in your solo, and you and JoJo's right behind you, and there, there's just a tight shot of you, Jimmy, and JoJo, and JoJo kind of goes like this and looks over at Jimmy, and Jimmy's like, uh huh, uh huh. JoJo JoJo made it to where I could sit in. I know I've known Dwayne for a while. Um, I've been knowing Dwayne actually for like five years, I think. We got uh we hung out and listened to Tame Impala in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah. That's how we met. <laughs> and uh we were in Mobile, Alabama, and JoJo was playing up the street and it was this whole communal thing because JoJo was like, Okay, I'm coming to Mobile, Alabama. Uh and he put it on his contract that he needed a crawfish boil. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. So he did a, it here too. That's the thing he does. Yeah, I like that. And it's so much fun. He just invites everybody. But he came down and sat in with us, and um, then basically, I guess they were just uh, practicing before Wani, 
and they wanted to play Mountain Jam, and JoJo was like, oh, man, we should get that kid, uh, Marcus, to come play on this one. And Dwayne was like, I don't know, Marcus. And Dave was like, yeah, let's do it. So when I walk in the trailer, it's like, it's like, a, like a strange dream I've had. I walk in the trailer where they're all practicing, and, and I'm like JB came out of the back, and he's always been really like a mystic hey, figure to me. No, he just like walked out of the back like uh, – like Kill Bill style, like with his cowboy boots on. Yeah. Like real, like just laid back, man. Yeah, he's very calming. And it's like he had a like a aura and there was like smoke around him, I thought. And I was just like, this is nuts. <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah. All right. Now, you also talk about how you emulate horn and keyboard players with your playing. Like Warren emulates vocal uh, singers. Uh, who are some of your favorite horn and keyboardists uh, I know Coltrane's in there and Jimmy mm-hmm. Smith, but who are some of the others? And who are some that might surprise us? Hmm. Uh, James Poisner, who plays with the Roots. He's a, he's a he's phenomenal Fender Rhodes player. And like D'Angelo's playing. And that's a lot, a lot with the comping. I like to listen to pianists. And that's one of the, the things about uh, our group that's like Steve Watson um, kind of taught me this. It's like you have piano and guitar you never have two guitars and a piano it's like you have just one comping instrument or two comping instruments that are also solo instruments so honestly you just need a piano (laughs) but um that's the cool thing about having the hammond organ but also bill evans trio is something i listen to uh for a lot of the like the rhythmic stuff that bill evans would get into and sonny rollins is a big one for me and uh Eric Dolphy, as far as getting outside a little bit, and uh, you listen to Ornette Coleman at all for like the crazy, crazy balls of the wall stuff. I was more Sun Ra, but ah. I do, but I do listen to Ornette Coleman, yeah. And I think Kebby Williams was the one that turned me on to Eric Dolphy. Kebby, I'm pretty sure. Really, I only met him once in Atlanta. He's an Atlanta guy. Yeah. How much listening are you doing now? Not now as much you're... as I'd like to. And honestly, as far as the playing, like uh, a lot of the jazz guys I know. I meet some phenomenal players on the road, and I'm just like, man, you know, I can't even carry your guitar case, bro. And they're complimenting me, and I'm just clamming up. And they're asking me who I'm listening to, and I'm listening to like Margaret Glaspie, because like her her playing, like her accompaniment for herself as a guitarist is just just as incredible as her writing and her singing, I think. And that's what I've been listening to lately is like more singer songwriters. And like we were talking about earlier, same as Warren, it was. I made a real conscious decision to quit listening to guitar players at a young age. And Derek had said in an interview there was so many like Stevie Ray Vaughan clones that were coming out when he was growing up. Right. And I kind of saw that happening to myself, and I didn't want that. It's called Kill Mommy. It's a Joni Mitchell thing. <laughs> have you heard of this? No. At some point, you have to stop to listening to your biggest influences. Right. Like completely stop. And then take one of your more obscure influences that's maybe far away from Indian. what you're known for and maybe focus on them and then find the hybrid and find your own personality through that something like that is that is that right. what you're thinking exactly it worked out i mean great because all these vocalists i was listening to it was inadvertently kind of uh molding the way that i would approach the microphone when i finally you know started singing because i never planned on doing it when did you start singing uh, i was about 13 Right when that voice was changing. Did you wait for the voice to change? No. There's some demos out there, <laughs> uh, buddy. Have you ever heard of Fine... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear... Long... Woo! <laughs> have you heard of yeah. fine, young, fine Young Cannibals? Huh. 
Uh, there's you know three of them right about? now in Florida. They announced today. Your voice. <laughs> you have a little of that voice. You should, well, maybe you should. You think yeah. so? Listen to them. Yeah. You never heard of Finding Cannibals, really? I haven't. I will right after this interview. Well, you are 21. But don't listen to them too much. We're I aging guess. ourselves. Oh my God. She was surrounded while she was alone. When did my house become less of a home? She was so tired. So much to say, but her words remain unspoken. Weep not for me, for my mind will hold in no peace. Rita carried so much weight, nobody knew till it was too late. I like that you say he has, some, he has something in common with us. He's motivated by scrutiny. Like we're always telling our, our listeners. Well, You're married to a Jewish woman. <laughs> we always tell our listeners that it's not, <laughs> we like feedback. We love feedback, but we really like negative feedback. Well, he's a good, you right. have to be careful. When you ask a guitar player, how, do you deal well with feedback? They're like, yeah. And yeah. then, they're, then, they're like, then the you go to them. Well, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I think you should really go, you know, from here to here. Well, don't tell me what to do. I thought you said you like feedback. Yeah. Work with it. What's going on? Right. But, but when these musicians come up to you and praise you, do you also try to try to push them and stick to them and, and look for? Well, what am I? What am I not doing? Ah, that's a good you know, question. do you do you ever try to push them? Because that's the more valuable stuff. The praise is like, okay, yeah, great, but yeah, you have thanks. to be careful of praise. Uh, thanks, but tell me where I could do better. Yeah, where do I suck, man? Well, that's a re- <laughs> that's a really good question, but it's hard to answer. Just in the fashion that if somebody were to press me like that, it's hard to do because you don't. And everybody in the jam community that I know, like Jimmy and Derek and Warren, they're all so nice. They're not going to do it. Jimmy's not going to. He's too they're nice. He's too nice. It, Even if right? you push them, you don't think they would? I don't think so. I think the more you push, the less likely they're going to be able to do it. Because, you know, it's just you wouldn't want to do that to... uh it, like in a fan situation, like them as friends, like I told Jimmy, I was like, man, I want to come down and get some lessons. He was like, shoot, man, I got to come to Greenville, get lessons from you. I was like, bullshit. <laughs> and then he left you know, in a wisp of smoke. And I was like, what was that? No, he but, doesn't. But, but Dwayne, you talked he to him. He said he wanted to hang out. I swear, Dwayne. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> but you talk to Derek about being a young guy in this business. Do you talk to Derek about um, all the music that informed, like all the East Indian stuff that he listens to and how it's informed his playing? And I think it really is part of the reason he exploded, even mm-hmm. though he was a prodigy. I, I could, I agree he keeps that. getting better and better. And I think a lot of it is what he feeds his mind, music from all over the world, particularly India. Do you ever discuss that with Derek? I've actually never spoke with him about it, but Jeff Sipe uh, from Aquarium Rescue Unit, apartment Q258, <laughs> he, uh, he turned me on to Ali Akbar Khan. When I was mm-hmm. 16. Yes. And that was, uh, that's when that started for me. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And see, uh, another, another uh, touch of kernel there. Yeah, man. Yep. 
And kind of like the Colonel, Marcus sees, saw a lot of these musicians around Greenville and then kind of stole them and put them in his band. Most notably, <laughs> the, the drummer Jack Ryan, who's often listed first, I notice. Is this like a Jack Iron situation? Is Jack a real big influence on you beyond just being a drummer? Yeah, he is. He's always, he's like a brother to me. And I never had that growing up. So when me and Jack started hanging out and we became really good friends, it was all pretty quick, you know, actually. Um, I, I went into this venue and I saw this drummer just like tearing it up. He was playing with Rage On and the Cosmic Rebellion, right? <laughs> yeah. And Justin was in that band too, our trumpet player. And he later joined after he finished college. He was the only one of us to do it, actually. But uh, so congratulations on that, Justin. And uh, does he have a nickname? <laughs> Justin? Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, Justin. Absent. Absent. How about Dizzy yeah. Cheeks? Nah, he he does have the Dizzy Cheeks. Especially but, uh, trombone. When he's playing that trombone, which he didn't play it much today. Yeah. He played it more in Augusta. Right. But the cheeks are out to here. Yeah, he, uh, he can do the Dizzy thing where you just blow your cheeks up, and he's really good at the circular breathing and all that. Mm-hmm. They're, both of them, him and Dean, they, they work really well together. Yes. And uh, really just really blessed to have those two. But... The the way that I list everybody is always kind of chronological, and Jack joined first. Gotcha. And then, you know, we moved in together into uh, my dad's old place and started renting a house from him, and that's when we started playing, like, every day. And Jack was growing up on similar records and different records, and I was the same way, so then we started swapping music. And when we started swapping music, that's when, like, sparks really started flying and we really started realizing that we had something that we had to hold on to. And then after the first record, you know, the first record curse happened and, you know, two members left. Because whenever you start to see some traction happen, that's when... People pe- get a little scared. People are like, okay, you know, if I leave later, they'll be more mad. I'll just leave now. Yeah. One wanted to be a teacher, right? Yeah, and I don't know if he's a teacher. He's a really good friend, uh, Alex Abercrombie, and a phenomenal keyboard player. And um, he even said, he was like, man, you know, if you... Give me about a year to get this uh, this degree, because he had already graduated from Berkeley with a music degree, and he told me he was going to college. I was like, "But you graduated already." <laughs> but, he, but he was like, "Well, no, I'm going to go back to school." And now he's teaching English, and I'm, that pissed me off. I was like, "You're not even teaching music? Come on, man!" <laughs> and my bass player recently just got married, my old bass player, and he lives in Athens now, actually. And is this the permanent lineup for a while? Uh, this one right here, yeah, yeah. As long as they'll have me <laughs> until someone else gets married or goes to school, back to yeah. school. Yeah, <laughs> and none of us are really candidates for marriage right now. So, and you guys did your own managing, your own booking for a while. Yeah. And one yeah. thing when we we had Mo on, remember? And, uh, yeah. And they were talking about how over the course of time they got to a point where they had to do their own managing, they had to do their own, their, their own this and that. And the fact that they're good guys and they had maintained the relationship since early in their days, they had to do the same, serve them well. Are you thinking of doing that? Not necessarily for that end, but are you still trying to stay involved, trying to keep the relationships going and trying to not just keep a person between you and everybody else? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it. Like right now we're so busy, it's, it's difficult. When I get there, you know, those relationships that I had made – I maintain them and, you know, go in and talk. But I never like to settle up or anything because I don't like to have the the money sure, trail yeah. on my hands. Right, right, you right. Know? Personally yeah, but speaking. That, that point and, of knowing that um, the promoter and being able yeah. to have that relationship yeah. where it's like, you know what, I know you well enough that, you know, 30 years down the road, I can call you and still have this relationship. And mm-hmm. that relationship is something, not just them and 
whoever's handling you and whatnot. Right. And you share in the writing of the music, but do you, are you the primary songwriter of all the lyrics? Yeah, I write all the lyrics, and uh, I write most of the tune, but, you know, as far as the publishing is concerned, it's all split down the middle. That's nice. Because, you know, I don't, I, don't write the, I don't write the horn lines or the, the drum parts. I suggest a lot of the bass parts and like, the keyboard parts and stuff, but it's just suggestions. I can't play it like they play it. But you bring a lot of them to them as, as a folk or country musician would, just you and the guitar, and yeah. then build from there, right? Are you a folk country musician at all at heart, you think? I wouldn't say so. I'd say that for me personally, it's more of a genuine place to come from, writing a song. And then it could take a different form, and then it could still have that that kind of underbelly of being something, you know. Because if you're going to write like a funk song, it's really hard to be like, I'm coming from this real place of hurt, and I'm, <laughs> I'm hearing some slap bass and some clavinet. <laughs> you know, so it's easier to kind of write with just an acoustic, and then and then apply some other shit on top. Right on. Um, where do you do most of your solo writing? And I guess your collaborative writing you do in the, in the studio, but your own stuff before you bring it to them. Where do you do it? I know you've been hit with inspiration at places as bizarre as the Waffle House, but yeah. where do you sit down and <laughs> actually? Uh, do the writing usually, or is it just come to you and you? you I mean, is it thought out at all, or is it just kind of? Oh, well, I got to write now. I, I, I got mean, an idea. Having the recorder on my phone is always great, and I get it. And I, there's so many weird recordings on my phone of me just going do 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 or whatever. Well, you have one of those. Baseline in my mind. We'll you know? have those on the box set someday, <laughs> or or at the end of the podcast, perhaps. Yeah, right. And all these all these little ideas, and then whenever we're off tour long enough, because it's we're, we're always off for like two days, which is just long enough to not get anything done. It's just long enough to sleep. If we're off for four days, I can, the first two days are always like recovery mode, you know, blackout curtains, nothing. Right. And then the second two days is like laundry and like, go say what's up to the family, you know, see my nephews, high fives, baseball game, whatever, you know, have my grandma at a dinner and then some writing can start. You know what I mean? So, Recently, I've kind of had to rearrange my uh, my schedule to where I, I come home and just start writing. Or, you know, just recently I was writing and somebody called me and I wasn't really having any, any inspiration. And uh, this person called me and like really, you know, said some stuff that hurt me and, you know, kind of denied some stuff that I brought up that had hurt me. And I was just like, well, thanks. And I like, hung up and started writing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the inspiration. Right. I get that every time I call my mother. Oh, but the spot. <laughs> Speaking of yeah, but when I was uh, what I was saying was the spot in my house uh, is the only room I'm allowed to smoke in <laughs> because Jack's not cool with it. Gotcha. So it's a side room, and I can kind of close it off. And we got the Hammond out there, and the drums, and the bass, and the guitar rig, and everything. And uh, I just go out there and write. But I don't like to ever feel like I'm alone, so I always put on a. Uh, Louis C.K. live at the at the Beacon <laughs> Theater. Nice, because I've heard it so many times. I can listen to like that or Robert Klein, because I I love to listen to comedy. When I've listened to so much music, I go to comedy because I come from kind of a same similar self depraved place. You know, sure. Do Tom, Tom Hamilton background. said the same thing. I love Tom. Yeah, we get each other. <laughs> That might be part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think comedy keeps you grounded, keeps you, keeps you viewing things beyond outside of the box, and yeah. keeps you smiling. I think it's really important. I listen to a lot I of comedy. I think there's com- comedians that are like comparable to like other musicians. Like, 
like uh, Miles Davis going outside mm-hmm. or like Sonny Rollins doing the same thing is comparable to like Sam Kennison just screaming, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's like Greg Fitzsimmons who has an act that he does. But he can go out, and if a fan, if a, someone in the crowd yells something, he can just completely deviate and do a completely different show and just be gone. I mean, and Jackie yeah. Mason, well, say sure. what you want about him. Jackie Mason, sure. he could do a completely different show every night, too, and the, like the best musicians. And that's rare in comedy. There is music to comedy, but the there thing really, about comedy is that also is. Yeah. And comedy does a thing where it brings, it, I don't know if it's the, your chemicals in your mind and body and whatnot, but what, I mean, think about Endorphins? it. Comedy, yeah, it, comedy breaks that. Comedy breaks your shell, breaks you, brings you to a different place, similar to music does. It opens up. You know that, so I mean, sometimes comedy can be really harsh, right? Mm. Yeah, but I like. But the harsh. that kind of like opens you to kind of like question and you know, oh, that's funny. How we what? Oh, you know, go through shit in your head and kind of mm. get your place. Same th- same way music will do that. All right, but, there is an elephant in the room. <laughs> we got to talk about Warren. I mean, Warren. <laughs> Warren's a good man, and I want to. Uh, you know, it's uh, we all know about his music, but the more I learn about him as a person, uh, just amazing. Some of the stuff that he does, Seth. The first time he was playing the Beacon, speaking to the Beacon, mm-hmm. he invites Marcus on stage, and he has him do uh, the Marshall Tucker Band song. Yeah, can't uh, you see? Can't you see? Which he used to play with his grandfather, which was written by Toy Caldwell, who's from Spartanburg, the next town over. Yeah, I well, just think that. I mean, and he didn't even tell you; he just sprung it on you. He, and did he know the impact, or, did, or was it happenstance? I think he did. Warren is kind of. I think he's a little. Um, Reserved and what it is that he he really knows going is going on. I heard he asked you to do the Blind Boys version. <laughs> he wanted you to play it like the Blind Boys of, like, of Alabama. Oh really? Well, yeah, because it's the what, what was the song? <laughs> Can't you song? see? Blind Boys. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. <God laughs> Sorry about that, folks. You got me. Hey. <laughs> now that. Anyways, you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I shared a I shared a trailer with them actually. There was. It's the best. You'll never know you're there if you're quiet. It was, it was strange because I not to not to get too far off. But I was actually telling my dad about it. It was, and they're all so sweet. They're so such nice guys. So nice. Um, you always know when I say that, and then I'm gonna say something that <laughs> may come across as a, they're so nice. <laughs> no, they were really sweet guys. But I got on the trailer, and like you know, the older you get, you don't really. And they've all known each other for so long. Right. You can only talk about so much shit. Mm-hmm. So they weren't really talking to, any, to each other. They were all just sitting there, and they're, they're, they're blind, and they were just kind of chilling. And it was actually my buddy uh, uh, Tash O'Neill from the London Souls. We both got on the trailer, and we kind of looked at each other. Because we were all three sharing a trailer at the Beacon. We were like, this is it's kind of strange. Because nobody was saying anything. Everybody was just sitting and looking. You know? Or looking. <laughs> yeah. But no. How are you guys feeling? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what you feeling? Yeah, but, it's reading. Yeah, but they're they're sweet guys. It was it was great to have worked with them recently. But uh, no, getting up for can't you see that was a such a monumental thing for me. It was the first time I had ever set foot on the Beacon stage, and what really threw me for a loop was uh, like a week before that show, the New Year's Eve show. Warren was like, uh, "Hey man, have you ever seen Purple Rain?" I was like. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> I've never sang that in my life. And but that's not what I said. I said, sure, man. <laughs> so it's I a, learned it. It's in your range, right? Yeah. This is before or after Prince. Uh, it was after, after, this is just last yeah. New Year's. This yeah, was sorry. the New Year's yeah. for it. Uh, it was you know, the whole theme was fuck two thousand sixteen. 
But I think we're gonna have to really. It should just been fuck 2017. You know. Yeah, it should, if we had a known man, it, I think we're gonna have to do it again. But I always get a little scrutiny for not being the biggest Prince fan, and I don't think Warren knew that. And my whole band kind of laughed at me because I had to go do a Prince tune. Uh, and I I love Prince's performances and stuff, but but I do think that Warren had a little bit in mind for having me do that particular song on that particular stage. Uh, you've talked about how when you, you go see artists that you like seeing someone who motivates you to go home and practice. What artists did you see that made you want to go home and practice the most? Uh, well, you know, uh, Jake and Brendan from, from Umphreys <laughs> are certainly two of them. I like uh, that answer. <laughs> I remember sitting in the green room and Jake was uh, like messing with his guitar <laughs> while he was eating his food. While he was eating his food. And they're, they're incredible musicians, and their dedication is just really inspiring. But also, Snarky Puppy. Oh, yeah. Like nice. Anybody that's involved in that camp. <laughs> yeah. And, like, just friends of mine that are, you know, we talk about, like, what we're shedding at that time. And I'm a writer, so I go hang out with, like, horn players. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, I'm working on this, you know, uh, this Freddie Hubbard stuff, like, from the Village Vanguard, like, 58. And, you know, like, uh, Rashawn Ross and Benny Bloom from Lettuce. Mm-hmm. Like and and Zoidus, like those guys. Well, your horn player really likes Zoidus, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, who doesn't love Zoidus? He's awesome, and he can cook. He's great. But um, you know, we that was that was a funny moment actually at the at Red Rocks. I went into the rehearsal room to practice, and I didn't know the horn players were in there. So like, the door was a lot lighter than I thought it was. So I like had my guitar and a lot of other shit in my hand. So I just like kind of kicked it open, Whoosh. but I really just kicked it in. And the door just went boom. <laughs> this was like my first time meeting Rashawn. And like, enter Marcus. <laughs> I walked in and Jordan was like, that was an entrance. And then I just kind of. If Benny was there, it would have been. <laughs> Benny's a trip, man. He would have hit that, though. He's you know. so funny. Yeah. Now, you like to do interesting things with the chords and play them in different ways to get a different feel out of them. Mm-hmm. So you got you to gotta meet Weir. You got to meet Bob Weir, and when you do, that's what you got to talk to him about. Because Weir is the master, and you're at 21 already doing a lot of the stuff. And if you keep doing it, and you keep having an intellectual curiosity to that, oh my God, will that inform your playing and the interaction with other musicians? The chord to me is like a like a piece of foam or something comparable to a piece of foam or like memory foam. Like however you grab it, it's always it's gonna be there. It's the same fiber. But it's how you approach it, and it's how you get that. You know what I mean? And you can work it in all these different ways, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be that same piece of fabric. And that's the first time I use that analogy. I was gonna say, is that your it's analogy, not, or is that? I just, I just thought of it. It's not, really it's not good. great, but that's it, a pretty good description, though. That's all I can think of. That's good. Um, well, I almost met Bob Weir, but they were dealing with something because their truck had just wrecked, and like. They had this old pump organ that got like really fucked up, oh. and they were all just kind of like standing around it, looking at it. And I was like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go over there." <laughs> no, some people would rather see a person get hurt. Yeah. Oh, I guess we're losing you. Um, I am really knocked over that you're familiar with Danny Gatton. Oh yeah, man. Um, can you talk about him just for a minute? The legendary DC player who's forgotten by many people. To, mm-hmm. to find out that someone twenty year, twenty one year, years old knows of him, I'd love to hear how you found out about him and how he influences you. Well, Redneck Jazz Explosion, that was the one. 
And uh, also the record that he did with Joey D. Francesco was really, really incredible. And uh, I was big Buddy Emmons fan because we were talking about not listening to guitar players. I would listen to pedal steel players. Because mm-hmm. I play pedal steel as well. I don't, I don't really consider myself a pedal steel player. I enjoy playing it. But uh, so much dedication put into that instrument. So listening to like uh, Redneck Jazz Explosion and like seeing the videos and like they'd all have their their black t-shirts on similar to this one but it would just have their last names on it <laughs> so buddy emmons had a shirt that said emmons and danny gatton's shirt said gatton on it and it was just really funny to me because it was a really odd concept but uh i i remember that very clearly and uh my grandfather was the one that turned me on to danny gatton and we had a lot of friends in greenville uh like a friend of mine mike bagwell pedal steel player and Another friend that used to play with Randy Travis, who's just these phenomenal players, but such sweet people, just humble. Like, you'd never know it. You know what I mean? Like, you'd never know that they're, like, the baddest motherfuckers in the world, and they're just chilling in Greenville because that's what they want to do, man. It's kind of like, um, um, shooty, I'm spacing on his name from Aquarium Rescue, you know, the Matt Mundy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's kind of like Matt Mundy. He just doesn't, you know. Yeah, real low-key. so badass yeah. that he's like, I don't know if fucking with it. You know, and I love that. I love players like that because you get so much more out of them, and especially players that have gone and done it and realized, not for me. And then they go, go back home, and I love that. But um, that's Danny Gatton for me, and I actually uh, almost bought a Telecaster that was his for a while. And I thought the guy said 3000 and I was playing it, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to try to figure out how I can buy this. And then... Uh, I was getting ready to leave and try to figure out some funds, and he was like, "I was like, you said three, right?" He was like, "Yeah, 30. I was like, "Okay, bye." <laughs> well, Warren's got to get you playing pedal steel. How about like a little acoustic tour with you and Warren, with I, you playing a little pedal I steel? I would love that, man. Little I, ten, fifteen date tour, Warren. That's what I used to do when I had more time at home. I got a really dear friend, incredible songwriter, Charles Hedgepath. You might know Charles, um, maybe. He he comes down. He played with the work, um, but he really good friend. And um, he he that's how I got playing pedal steel. He just let me come out and just noodle around his songs for you know like four hours at shows where nobody was there. Like happy hour stuff because like he'd do the early and the late night set. So I just every week I just go out and noodle on pedal steel for. But it's difficult because the two foot hours. crap too, right? And the knees—it's all over the place, man. It's it's a whole dog and pony show. That's why I love it. I love we, it. We love you know, talking with you here today. We definitely would like to chat with you more, but uh, we are out of time, unfortunately. Oh, we're losing you. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. I really enjoyed this. Right we got to do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, and I also have a, the Timeless Music Podcast. It's out of uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. My friend okay. has a studio, Good Luck Studio. He's heard your work, and we'd love to have you in there and have you play, too. Yeah, now, man. We'll grab you when you're in Raleigh, Chapel Hill. You guys holler at me like we were talking about earlier. Rita is gone. Gone, gone, gone. She's And yeah, so 
Should we get back to talking about Marcus King there, Seth? Well, uh, depends. Are you done eating? <laughs> How sweaty was I then? Uh, on a scale from 1 to 10, like 1,472. Like you saw me after J-Rad at, at... You were disgusting. Thank you. That no, was, that was Marcus King, you were... Awesome. You were God. I mean... Uh, Enough with the sound effects. Can, this is a podcast. Can you talk? Use words. So that was Marcus King. All right. Do you want to do your thing, or, or do you want me to throw out potential uh, rev- reviews we could review? I'll just uh, listen. A little industry thing here. I've been working with a company for several years. You fan people can just fast forward. Yeah. And I issued a contract, and, and you just you know the contract was it's a non-exclusive. See, I offer my company offers services to events. So this event comes back to me this year, and they hired us for less events because they're doing things more in house, which. Okay, yeah, understandables, but clearly we're getting phased out and are limited to only a certain number of gigs, which means we're making less money. And that sucks. It does, but I I understand that. Yes. But I get more Seth time if you I do. want to be selfish. But here, so this is selfish. So here's the selfish thing: the company comes back on the contract, and gives me a clause that's a non-compete clause, saying that I can't work events that are yeah. And to say similar, I mean, it was so specific. That it would, it, it had a. I couldn't work in certain places and certain. And as I as I've wait, told wait, wait. you before, but I'll be vague as well. I've been in situations like that too. What he's saying is he's not getting full time employment, but he's getting restricted on other employment he can get. Right? Uh, absolutely. I've been in that position too, and that's so, like that's not cool. So either give me full time or let me do whatever. Right. And and the thing is this the the. The wording on it, if I was an employee of this company, 100%, you sign a non-compete like that because you're an employee for that company. But I'm a contractor bringing a service, and they're telling me that, you, you know what, you, we want your service only for these events, and, and we're not going to hire you for all our events, so you're going to make less money. Oh, and you can't sell your services to other people. So oh. you're... Who the fuck is that? Like you. So don't, were you able oh, to get rid of that? Well, I mean, I mean, this is the email I get at nine thirty last night. I'm like, and this okay. is something that was supposed to be signed. Oh uh, yeah, no, this contract was supposed to be signed two months ago, and I'm supposed to go out to a, a meeting on Monday uh, to uh, to fly out to meeting. So they're without, squeezing you, basically. Yeah, they're, well, they're trying to, but they're just uh, oh, bullying. Wait, 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 Essentially, wait. that's bullying. Fifteen plus years working with this company, and guess what they and and they put in this on this. This is we're talking about Starbucks, right? Yeah, absolutely, Starbucks. Uh, and they throw into the mix that it's uh, non-negotiable. Um, Are you kidding me? Like, like that? Who the fuck is that? You're gonna what? And here's my question: What is that company afraid of? Like, you know, you want you want me, you want my services, but you don't want my services for all your stuff. And you don't want me to be able to work for your competitors or other opportunities. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And it's not even in a specific uh, for said service. So yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that is what I am dealing with. These are the kind of things where I would throw the phone against the wall and Seth fights through. Usually, I guess there are glaring exceptions. All right, so. I'm going to read you four articles. What's the matter, Seth? You look concerned now. Well, you're, you're sending me these articles, that, which I appreciate, but then you say something you did not mean to include me. No, Robert. Well, there's only you on that text. Oh, really? Mine says <laughs> Seth and Robert. That's so strange. Oh, I see what happened. Okay. I thought it was Quan. Uh, 
Uh, so my, but, anything right. to mention Robert Kwan's name again because we really do appreciate your help. And we did we shoot we shot Carrie had shots. Carrie Romanoff Hatch films and Bert Holland with Encyclopedia will be Thank putting you. together a, a re- recap video. Bottom line though, in this before we go, we're going to finish this by saying this, folks out there, when it comes to contract. If it's nine thirty at night, I, I learned a valuable lesson the uh, oh, I thought several we were done years. With this. No, the, the lesson I want to teach uh, people though, uh, you don't let that take over your night. You have to be able to put the computer down and not harp on stuff, and just turn it down, and then wake up the next morning and deal with it. Or else you'll find your son in fights every day at school. Right, Seth? What's going on with that? I don't know yet. He got bit twice this week. I don't know. Does he listen to the show? I, does the kid who listened that bit him? I'll bet, yeah. Maybe. I and he's know. like, enough with the puns old. and interrupting the guests with your dad. I like that kid, if that's true. All right, here's four articles. Lady Gaga uses every last bit of the XL to preach her trampy gospel. Here's another one. Paul McCartney sang happy birthday to Jimmy Fallon at Barclays. This is an article on this. Uh, here's another one where this one's more like a scolding. Stop expecting Wolfpack to be a jam band because they aren't one. And then we have Foo Fighters review, rip roaring rock riffs and Rick rolling. I think rip we- roaring rock riffs and rip Rick rolling. Okay. Um, can I just make guesses as to wh- who, what, what um, publication wrote each? Well, that's. <laughs> You have it on your text. I'm it's, not looking at the text. Oh, okay, I'm just right. listening to you. So right. the first one was the Paul McCartney? Or? No, that Lady Gaga uses every last bit of the XL to preach her trampy gospel. Okay, that one I'm going to say is never, Pace Magazine. No. Okay, next one? CityPages.com. Oh. Paul McCartney. R- Rolling Stone. I mean, this. I kind of want to do this one. Rolling Stone? I, no, none of these are Rolling Stone. Oh. Well, don't take that. I could. It could oh, right. right. <laughs> all right, next one. But this one I kind of want to do because it's so ridiculous to do a story about this. Yeah. Paul McCartney sang "Happy Birthday" to Jimmy Fallon at Barclays. Next video. And who did that again? Brooklyn Vegan. Okay. Big news! Breaking news! Breaking news! Paul McCartney sang "Happy Birthday" to Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> okay. The next one. Stop expecting Volpeck to be a champion because they aren't one. Um, well... Oh, my God! Jambands.com. No. They wouldn't scold. Well, maybe they would. I don't know. Liveforlivemusic.com. <laughs> and then... Foo Fighters Review. Rip Roaring Rock Riffs and Rick Rolling. Can you say that five times fast? This one contributes to one of my favorite radio shows regularly. Uh, Foo Fighters Review. Rip Roaring Rock Riffs and Rick Rolling. Rip Roaring Rock Riffs and Rick Rolling. Rip Roaring Rock Riffs and okay, Rick Rolling. Okay, I something like that. It sounds something like... It's got to be a West Coast thing. I'm going to go with the Guardian? You got that. No yeah. way. Did my clue give it away? Because they feed that show that I tell you about? Uh-huh. One of my secret influences? No, actually, to- that time I looked. <laughs> God, for the first time in months, I was impressed with you. Ah! I wish. Should we do the McCartney? What do you think? Uh, that's one you want to do. Uh, okay. The Tramp yeah. thing is intriguing. Well, I, I mean, I'm kind of intrigued about Wolfpack being a jam band, not a jam band. or But but you know what, though? We all know they're a jam band. So let's go ahead and Paul McCartney it. Stop saying they're a jam band. God damn it, Seth. They oh, aren't one. Well, then why are they in a jam band publication? Move on. Okay, so, all right. At the beginning of his eight show, New York area run with the two Prudential Center shows, and then, no, wait, excuse me, <coughs> after. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to have to edit that out. 
after beginning his eight-show New York area run with two Prudential Center shows and then playing two MSG shows, one with Bruce Springsteen. That would be pretty cool. No story about that. I don't see... Or maybe there's a link. I'm sure there's a story on that. Paul McCartney headed to Brooklyn for his first of two Barclays Center shows last night. Paul doesn't really change his set list up much at all. And he hasn't in years. I love him. Voice is starting to go, too. Um... And the song choices last night basically mirrored the ones at the previous New York area shows. Didn't that just say the same thing twice? Let's read that sentence again, Seth. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah. You're really working that mustache. Like, (laughs) at least you're not hitting the mic anymore. Okay. Paul doesn't really change his set list up much, and the song choices last night basically mirrored the ones at the previous New York City area shows. With tons of Beatles classics, like A Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love, All My Loving, We Can Work It Out, Love Me Do, on and on, blah, blah, blah. Basically the stuff he's been doing. (laughs) <laughs> said the same thing didn't yeah. change up the set list and they mirrored and yeah okay one or the other you don't need to overwhelm me with repetitious information oh right, here we go no surprise guest last night but Jimmy Fallon was in the audience it was his birthday are you gonna comment I, I'm, no I'm, I'm Rob, how exciting I, I mean if you go the, to see you, well, the way McCartney, you yelled though I had to jump on the board and like make sure you didn't blow it so that's alright you're, you're good you're, you're excited and and I just don't find this article that interesting I'm sorry Jimmy Fallon was in the audience and it was his birthday oh my god oh my god oh my god did he do, do a game what? did he do a game show do, do, you know, uh, do you know what happened then uh, oh my god you just hit the mic again you piece of shit you're not saying anything you're just whacking the microphone around <laughs> Helpful wingman. Uh, playing whack man. And Paul had the crowd sing happy birthday to Oh, him. really? The you whole can, crowd sang happy birthday. You can see the video of that alone, uh, uh, below, along with the set list. What, you get a blow? Which is the mirror, which, by the way, they did the same one. No. And it was a mirror. No. And they did the same set list. And no. it was a mirror, Seth. Uh, <laughs> check out pictures in the gallery above. Paul plays Barclays again Thursday. By the way, uh-huh. probably the same set list. And you it think- will be a mirror of... This night's set list. Well, Except well, well, no, happy no, happy birthday. birthday right, no, happy right. birthday. Yeah. That part of the mirror will be cracked. Well, what if someone's there that it's their birthday? You're not going to sing happy birthday? And you could still snag some tickets. Maybe because singing happy birthday to Jimmy Fallon is the highlight of the show. <laughs> Maybe they're having a hard time selling tickets for 200 whatever dollars. Is this Paul, like the real Paul? or the? Yeah, and they throw down. The band is awesome, and Paul f- f- wails on the bass. It's really, it's an incredible, awesome show. But, I mean, let's... Be honest, it's ex- expensive, and his voice is starting to go. So if you get him on a, on a tough coming night... From the, coming from a guy who will travel to the moon and back to see Bob Dylan. Go ahead, Rob. Well, not these days. Bar Brothers would have been a better reference, who, by the way, congratulations. Yeah, Bar I saw Brothers. something about that. They are touring um, Europe with War on Drugs, oh, opening wow. for War on Drugs, and they've got new stuff. Go to um, Follow them on Twitter and Facebook. Check them out, Bar Brothers. A lot of new music coming, a lot of exciting stuff. I have a feeling they'll be in Atlanta next year. I really do, and we'll get to sit down with them. We would, although I'll have to get them to unsign that what, Rob? <laughs> So, once again, thank you, Marcus King. We're going to play some more Marcus King music here, Marcus King band music. And uh, October 6th and 7th at the Pisca Brewery. Check them out. The Marcus King Band family reunion. MarcusKingBand.com just for general information. And, and uh, what a great kid. I'm gonna, as, like I said in the interview, I want to have him on the other podcast, too, up in North Carolina. The Timeless Music Podcast. Hey, Marcus King fans, you might check out the David Bromberg episode, our first. Marcus King band maybe was Marcus King was one of the first interviews where we didn't talk about David Bromberg or did we? No, I don't think we did. 
He Bromberg makes it into every single interview somehow. Yeah. You know, we started talking about Warren, and then you made a joke about Blind Boys, because uh, Can't You See, and then we got distracted and never really got to talk about Warren that much. But. I kind of did that on purpose, because I felt that he that Warren comes up in almost every interview with him, and I thought that we would we had a limited amount of time, and I would derail it in a funny way. So there was, there was logic behind that, Rob. Not a bad answer, Seth. Not a bad answer. Totally made it up. All right. Thanks, folks. <laughs>
drives 